Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa. Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa. Internet world, West Alabama, right here in downtown Northport, just a mile or two away from Bryant-Denny Stadium. Everybody who's watching the Joe Gaither Show on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. I am, of course, Joe Gaither. You're watching us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. You're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Amazon. Go tell a friend about the program. We've had a fun week so far this week. We're going to continue to have a fun week. It's a football Friday, so we're breaking down the weekend. We're, what, 29, 30-something hours away from Alabama kicking off against uh, against Mississippi State on Saturday night, 8 o'clock over there in Starkville. We want to thank everybody who's watched us already this week and encourage you to follow our other Bama Central Broadcasting Network podcast, Blue Collar Unplugged, our friend Matthew Gibson, Blake Byler, and Jacob Pickle, giving you all things Alabama basketball related. Related. They'll bring a new episode very, very soon. Probably going to talk about uh, Aiden, Aiden Cheryl, his uh, recent commitment. So we're going to have a but We're not going to talk about basketball today. It's, it's Football Friday. That's what we do on Football Friday. We're going to talk about Alabama and Mississippi State and the other SEC matchups this weekend. We're going to have our friends Katie Wyndham, Austin Hannon. We'll probably have Wyatt Fulton join us in a little while. And you can, of course, follow them and, and their coverage. They're going to be on site in Starkville uh, tomorrow. And so they're going to be all giving you the boots on the ground. I'll play home base right here in Tuscaloosa, helping them out how I can. But we're very, very happy today, very honored to welcome in our guest from the Boneyard Podcast. We're going to bring in Mr. Steve Robertson joins us today. You can follow Steve on the Twitter machine at ScoutSteveR. He is the host of the Boneyard Podcast, and I just listened to his episode today, Breaking Down Alabama. You want to do that to get ready for the matchup tomorrow to see kind of the other, other side perspective, and I'm very happy to bring him on. Steve, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. You know, it's um, it's been a eventful stretch for me. I've laid my head in five states in seven days and welcomed a new granddaughter to uh, the world. And now we get the pleasure of uh, covering college football for a weekend. So, yeah, I heard that on your on, on the very uh, first part of your uh, first part of your show. Lily Ray, is that correct? New granddaughter? Yes. Yeah, exactly right. We're from the south, you know, so we we're OK with the two name uh, child, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. That's a, 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 always a joy, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you're happy to be back in Starkville after traveling so, so much. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's the thing, too. I, I tell people all the time, man, we get we get so caught up in all that we do, but it's like, man, I get to cover college athletics for a living. Yeah, I mean, like, what, what in the world do I have to be angry about? I mean, there's so pe- many people in my profession, some of which are my friends, you know, where there's all this angst and everything else, and I'm like, you know, guys, you know, we get to watch college football. You know, we get to watch college baseball. You know, we get to interview the coaches and the players and, and be the eyes and ears for our fans and so many people that care about all this and this great conference of ours. So, yeah, I mean, I could cut my hair and go get a real job, but I'm having too much fun doing this. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Monday we had uh, we, we we had four sports holding press conferences, and I didn't mind. We had men's and women's basketball, we had uh, baseball, and then of course football for their normal noon press conference. And not to call out my colleagues, but that oh, why can't they do it all on separate days? I'm like, what? I mean, it was all lined up in a row. It was easy. It was not. It was great. Uh, we could be digging ditches or uh, you know doing sales calls or doing something monotonous and mundane, but a lot of fun to talk to uh, the coaches and the athletes that we all love. 
Well, whenever anybody wants to get out, there are thousands of people that would love to take their spot, you know, and that's the thing that I always think about. I've been writing about Mississippi State since 1997, and uh, I've been with this entity since 2001, you know, so 22 years with the same company, being able to cover the team that I love and the conference that I revere so much, and I get to travel around here and go to all these great venues and meet it. There's so many great fans, and that's the thing that I think really separates the SEC from everybody else. There, there are a lot of people that love – their college teams. But in our conference, it's like there is this esprit de corps in many respects. Like when I travel, like I love being able to interact with fans and, uh, you know, hear what they think about their team, but your team as well. And and uh, there's a lot of knowledgeable fans in our conference. And uh, it, it's great to be able to get out and get on shows like this. And, you know, I, I mean, I think I'm easy to please, man. I mean, I, I kind of know where we stand a lot with uh, Mississippi State football and baseball. And, we're awfully proud of what we have, but at the same time, too, it's always a pleasure to be able to represent Mississippi State University to your fine fan base. Well, I really appreciate your time, and those who want to read more of Steve Robertson can do that at jeanspage.com, or he has several books out. Uh, recent, Most recent book, not quite sports-related, Blooms of Oleander, but you can read all kinds of Mississippi State coverage with uh, Alpha Dogs. With st- I didn't turn my speaker off today. <laughs> Right before I was listening to, to to your recent episode, and I didn't turn my speaker off today. Uh, you can read him at with Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, or Stark Villains uh, to get more of a sports coverage. Uh, and, and you obviously have extensive uh, extensive experience in the business, and I appreciate uh, your expertise. You rec- came highly recommended by my friend Ryan Fowler. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been on with those guys a few times, and it's, it's such an honor, too. I mean, you know. Yeah, I like the fact a lot of people think of me first. You know, it's like, hey, we need to talk Mississippi State. Let's call Steve Robertson, you know, and and uh, I, I'm not the pretty boy in a polo shirt. I never aspired to do that. You know, fortunately, I get the work for myself. And, you know, you mentioned all the books. My sixth book is coming out here in a few weeks, and uh, it's about my path to recovery. I've been clean and sober now almost 32 years. And so kind of just basically telling people how I did it, why I did it, why I continue to do it, and why they should too. So that'll be out Um and they, you can get all my sports books too at WhenTheBottomFalls.com. It's excellent, and, and, and uh, I encourage all of our listeners to do that, uh, to do that, and follow your path. And really, that's a great message. Uh, something that I'm striving for as well. Uh, not 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 as consistent as as 32 years gone by, but uh, a very it's a very encouraging message that you put out right there. We're here to talk about Mississippi State, and obviously, uh, people who've been following Mississippi State over the last uh, couple of, well, year and change, lots of transition going on in Starkville. Obviously, tragic passing of Mike Leach, and that's a horrible, uh, really terrible story. I'll, I'll actually get you to start right there with uh, maybe your memories or what Mike Leach meant to you, only in Starkville for about three years, but just uh, what, what, what do you take away when people say the name Mike Leach? What's some of the first things that come to mind? Well, he's a genius, you know, and he really changed, uh, you know, the college game and really the NFL game. A lot of the concepts they're running in the National Football League are the air raid. You know, that, that's an important aspect of all this, too. And so he was an innovator. But more importantly, I got to know him more as a person, you know, and uh, I had so many people that covered Washington State after Mike took the job and said, dude, you're the luckiest guy in college sports to be able to cover this guy every day. You don't even realize it yet. And I thought they were just being silly, but it's the truth. I don't know if I've ever been around a more genuine person than Mike Leach. And he, he did so many things behind the scenes to help other people and didn't do it for Instagram, didn't do it for the tweet. And I found out a lot of these things after he passed away, you know, because he did things for the right reasons. And there's so many people nowadays, a lot of them because they have publicists and 
marketing people in their ears. It's like anytime you do anything, I mean, like if you shake somebody's hand or buy somebody a paper, you got to tweet about it. You know, right. he's not that guy. And um, yeah, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him kind of privately, just kind of sitting around talking football and talking life. And he just saw the world in a different way and, and uh, knew a little something about everything. And what he didn't know about, if you knew about it, he wanted you to, to, to educate him. And uh, we spoke a lot about recovery and, you know, college baseball. And yeah, it's one of the things, um, you know, like when the very first time I interviewed him, he spent 30 minutes interviewing me about, you know, the Hugh Freeze situation, you know, and all the stuff that happened with that. And he was a very inquisitive guy. He wasn't just a guy that wanted to dominate the conversation, but, um, you know, and, and he was a guy too, I'll tell you. So after last year's Alabama game, uh, you know, obviously state really didn't, wasn't in the game, state competed, but, uh, the outcome went pretty much as we expected and state finally scored a touchdown, you know, and, uh, but Mike was like so fired up about officiating and it wasn't just like the Alabama game, the Alabama, the officiating didn't determine that game talent did. Right. I mean, let's just all call it for what it is, but there had been some calls that had gone against state. You know, you had the fumbles that the, the punt situation in Memphis where state downs a punt and they let them return it for a touchdown. It was, so it was like this crescendo that came after the Alabama game. So I was actually in the complex and, um, Mike is like, hey, I got to take this call. So I stepped outside and he tried to get me to stay, but I didn't. I just went around the corner and uh, he's talking to the SEC office about the tape they sent in. And he goes, listen, I'm just going to tell you guys this. I, the SEC office says you're here to explain this to me. So as long as I'm here at Mississippi State, you can expect that you're going to have a lot to explain to me. I'm just going to take your word for it. And he goes, I don't know how they've done it here in the past or how everybody else in the league does it, but if you guys make calls that cost us a football game, you're going to hear from me. And if I'm not happy with your explanation, I'll go to Commissioner Sankey if I have to. And it really made me proud. I just shared that story recently on, on our page because he was willing to fight for Mississippi State. You know, it wasn't just a situation where, hey, I'm here to collect a check and ride off into the sunset in Key West. Uh, he was working hard to help Mississippi State, and uh, he wanted the, the program to be respected, not just by fans, but the league itself. And I, I heard uh, the, the very, very beginning that uh, maybe the, uh, the very beginning of your Boneyard episode that uh, <laughs> maybe the, the league wasn't very happy that he was sending in so many plays. Uh, but shoot, if you're the coach and you feel like something's gone wrong against you, that's that's what it's there for, to submit your plays and, and, and fight for your team. Uh, I, I'll, I'll transition right off that to uh, one of the other conversations that you had on the Boneyard episode this morning. And you guys can check out the Boneyard on all the podcast platforms, just like mine. And uh, you talked about really the officials and the way that they've kind of affected the Alabama-Mississippi State games over the course of the last handful of years. Most notably, probably the Calvin Ridley. Was he out of bounds? Is he in bounds? This, that, and the other. Uh, and me as a listener and graduate of the University of Alabama, I'm not I'm not from Alabama, I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, so I didn't grow up uh, an Alabama fan, but over the last uh, 10, 15 years, I came here as a freshman in 2008, uh, obviously grown a lot of affinity for Alabama and made me think, oh, you know, the calls go both ways, this, that, and the other. Um, I'll just give you a chance to, you know, because we don't often hear the other side's perspective. Everything is, you know, always crimson tide and everything Alabama does is A-OK and perfect. What's the what, what, what's your thought process or, or what has been the Mississippi State feelings about the officials affecting the Mississippi State-Alabama game? Well, the first thing I got to say is I don't know that they've affected the outcome in either of those in either of those games. You know, I mean, and that's the thing, the point that I made to Herb Vincent in the SEC office when. I wrote a big piece a couple of years ago and I sent them like 25 questions. And of course they, they really didn't want to answer those questions. But, uh, and like I told her, I said, Alabama doesn't need any help. 
you know, that that's the thing I think you guys need to understand. It's like, what's the difference in Mississippi State losing 38-14 and 38-7? I mean, just call the game for what it is. But, you know, I go back to that 2017 game with Calvin Ridley. There is no question he was out of bounds of his own volition. Jalen Hurts scrambles and does a great job, and Ridley breaks loose. He runs out of bounds of his own volition. And then the son of a former Alabama quarterback throws his hat down to signify that he goes out. Of course, Ridley's down at the one. Ridley himself, after the play, looks back and is like, he knew it. But instead, we call a force out and gives Alabama a first and goal situation. That was the third down play. And that's the 2017 game that Mississippi State should have won, Dan Mullen's last Alabama game. And I pointed out today in an article, Alabama's the only team Dan Mullen never beat in the SEC. Uh, then you go the next year when Calvin, excuse me, Dedrick uh, Johnson from Mississippi State, Colin Hill dives in the end zone, and there's Jeff Batts that throws the flag. There is no contact. Uh, Shaheem Carter dives trying to make a play, just an effort play from Carter. You know, he dives of his own volition, and that, that's a kid from Amy, Louisiana I've known for a long time. And so Thomas has his hand up, and uh, Bats throws the flag, and it nullifies the touchdown. Now, State lost the game handily anyway, but just call the game, man. I mean, it's like all these things continue to happen. There's always one or two egregious calls in these ball games. And uh, and listen, let's be honest about it. I mean, Alabama's the most dominant program that this conference has ever seen. I think it's a disservice to Alabama for these officials at times to make calls that appear to be helpful to Alabama when they don't need it. I think that creates this air of conspiracy. And I don't know if there is one, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I pointed out is that I found that this is the thing they didn't want me to talk about. So I found a bunch of uh, social media postings of family members of the officials on Ken Williamson's crew. And that was one of my questions that I sent in is like, what's the league's policy on social media? And they contact somebody else that knows me well and said, what is he getting at here? Well, they didn't know what I had, but I got a picture of uh, a particular official before the Arkansas A&M game in his black and white, taking a picture with his wife who's wearing Texas A&M gear before he goes and calls that game. Now, I don't care who you are, who you root for, or, or what you think about that. We can't have that in this league. You, I, don't, I don't care what your alma mater looks like, if you are affiliated in any way with another program, you shouldn't be calling their games. I mean, that's just the, the appearance of impropriety, you know, and I don't think that the officials decided that ball game, but it's a bad look for the league, you know? And so everybody's like, Oh, they don't have social media accounts. Well, I found them, you know? So it's like, you know, I mean, if I can get a sitting head coach fired over a phone record, I can find a coach or his wife's Instagram account. I mean, give me a break. Well, let's move right into that because your your book Flim Flam basically outlines the uh, the Hugh Freeze scandal at Ole Miss. And uh, before we get really into Mississippi State, I just want to hit on that real quick. Well, obviously, I encourage everybody to read that. Uh, it's very very juicy and exciting. Uh, but how surprised are you? The pointed question is: How surprised are you that Hugh Freeze, based on everything that you reported and you wrote in that book Flim Flam, that he was allowed back in the SEC and now obviously he's at Auburn? And then what do you think his uh, what do you think his ultimate outlook or outcome will be at Auburn? I think you'll do well there. I mean, yeah, no, no matter what you may think about Hugh Freeze and his past, the guy can coach offense. I mean, you just go back and look at the two games he won when he was at Ole Miss against Alabama. The thing that he did is he he coaches those teams up to have no fear. And they clearly had no fear of Alabama, and they won both of those football games. And, you know, I think the bigger win is probably the 2015 win 
Because you beat them in 14, right? It, it, Ole Miss wins that game in Oxford. You've got a year to get ready, and you mm-hmm. get them in your backyard, and you still lose the game. I think that's arguably the biggest win in the Hugh Freeze era at Ole Miss. But, uh, you know, listen, I got my own opinions about a lot of stuff, you know. But uh, Hugh Freeze and I have actually had some correspondence this year. I mean, after he got the job at Auburn. And, uh, you know, listen, I wish the guy well. It was never like some uh, investigation into Hugh Freeze. You know, I'm covering the Ole Miss thing, and, yeah, I've got everybody in in-state media telling me I'm a liar, that they're not under NCAA investigation. And so here I was. That's basically the pursuit of it all. It's like there was this major NCAA investigation on Ole Miss football, and the in-state media was complicit in the cover-up. That was the focus of, of my book and everything else. In the middle of all that, we uncover all this stuff that led to, uh, you know, to Hugh Freeze being, uh, you know, resigned at, uh, at Ole Miss. But uh, now I, I have no uh, – I got no ill will in my heart towards that guy, man. It's like, I, I've been sober as long as I have, and I've learned not to live with resentment because he never did anything to me. You know, and I think that's important to understand. There's so many people that act like me and Hugh Freeze are supposed to be mortal enemies like a Joker and Batman, but uh, <laughs> I just don't see it that way, you know, but uh, I think he'll do well at Auburn. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not running out to have lunch with him or anything. So. Well, we're here to talk about Mississippi State, and I just want to get everybody a little bit of background uh, as we walk, as we kind of ease into this conversation. Uh, obviously, we hit the transition right at the right at the very beginning. Uh, unfortunately, Mike Leach passes. Zach Garnett is promoted as basically kind of interim head coach for the bowl game, and then he he, he becomes head coach. Uh, now he's two and two. He's changed the offensive system, and the defense has not looked that great through four weeks. They're 90th in total defense, 120th in passing defense. What's been, in your opinion, the reception through four weeks for Zach Garnett? And really, my, my, my question is, why did he get his first head coaching job? Was it just the easy hire because he's the defensive coordinator and there's no offensive coordinator? And then what do you think his motivation was from saying, hey, we've been running the air raid, we've been recruiting the air raid for the last couple of years, but hey, let me go get Kevin Kevin Barbet. He's going to change up the, the offensive scheme. And now Will Rogers, one of the most successful quarterbacks in SEC history, looks quite uncomfortable through the first couple of weeks, now better this past week against South Carolina. But just kind of the whole thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And now obviously – not as uh, not 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 as tied into Mississippi State, but what has been his reception, and and really what has been his motivation for changing the offense? Yeah, I think that's really the one thing you look at. Maybe you, you kind of second guess a little bit is kind of retooling the offense because you had three years of implementation of the air raid. You had everybody back, of course, except for Coach Leach, and you know, I think maybe at the end of the day that Arnett just wasn't a believer in the air raid after coaching with it for three years, you know, and, and it was a ball control offense, but I think they needed to run the football because there was some games last year where, you know, state wore down defensively. People forget that state had to lead in the fourth quarter against LSU and Tiger stadium last year and just couldn't get a stop late and are outscored 21, nothing because the defense just completely gassed. And so, uh, but Arnett, you know, we, we've always known he was going to be a head coach. We just didn't think it would be this quickly. And we didn't think it'd be Mississippi state. We thought maybe he would leave and eventually come back. But, um, you know, Zach's done a lot of things that are right. And that's the one thing you look at here as a, as a leader is like, okay, I made the decision. It may not have been the right decision. It may not have been a decision that people support. But as a leader, I got to stick with my guy. I got to give my guy a chance to get some roots in place. Um, and Barbe is a guy that's, uh, you know, very well, well regarded. But, uh, you know, he's got a quarterback. It's not necessarily the perfect fit for his scheme. And I thought last week they were a lot more aggressive. Uh, and a lot of this, you know, Will Rogers is a quarterback. And if you're the quarterback in the SEC, I mean, if they mishandle, a, 
you know, a punt, it's your fault. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if somebody's yeah. popcorn is burned, it's your fault, you know? And yeah. so he gets a lot of the criticism, whether he deserves it or not. And so I think this offensive line has had some issues at times. And um, that that's a big part of it too, is you got to be able to run the football. And, and so, and sometimes he did look like a duck out of water at times in this offense, because, you know, the quarterback run is just not something that he's going to be able to do. And, but I thought last week they did a good job of putting him in a situation where he could be successful. He had a big game, his biggest game of the year. Tula Griffin has uh, one of the biggest receiving games in Mississippi State history, and he's a matchup. I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, whoever. Uh, Tula Griffin is a guy that's, that's going to be a problem for everybody. Um, you've got to find a way to defense that guy, and then if you double him, you've got some other opportunities. But, you know, South Carolina tried to double him last week, and he still was able to beat people. And so uh, the, the question this week is can State protect well enough to make that an issue for Alabama, you know, State has scored with one touchdown, and you know, four. It's like I think the numbers earlier. I think State was outscored 120 to 15 in the last three years under Mike Leach, and so a lot of people say, hey, "Can State even score?" I think the way that this Alabama offense has been rather pedestrian, we're probably looking at a low-scoring low game, which I think might actually help State. I don't expect State to win this football game, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, a beauty pageant when it comes to offensive efficiency for either team. I'm going to bring in my boss, Chris Walsh. He, he's right here in charge of Bama Central. He's making sure that I'm uh, staying on track. No, I'm just kidding. No, he, I invited everybody. Usually my Friday, Steve, are an all-call to the Bama Central staff, and Chris is ready to go, and so I'm going to bring him in to this conversation. But with that, I'm going to ask about uh, about Tulu Griffin. Basically got over the top a bunch against South Carolina, and he has been the main receiving option uh, over the first four games. What if, you know, obviously Alabama has Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold. Terry and Arnold, I'm hearing a little whispers that he, I don't know if he's going to be as uh, as available as we would like. But if if Alabama takes away Tulu Griffin or if they double him the way that you might have suggested, who's going to be – Will Rogers going to be the next guy up? Or how are they going to be able to get more passing weapons involved in the offense? Well, I think it's Avion Thomas, and he has not been 100% yet this year. I mean, he's a guy that uh, – you know, he got injured in camp. He got stepped on and then got gashed open and had to have his legs stitched up. So they were really careful with him. And last week was his most extensive uh, play of the year. Uh, we do think he's another matchup guy. I think his wide receiver room is actually pretty talented. It's just a matter of can you protect long enough to let them be a factor in this game? Uh, so I think Thomas is a guy. Jaden Wiley hadn't played much at all this this season. And, uh, you know, that that's a, a big mystery. You know, why isn't he a bigger part of things? But um, – you know, Justin Robinson's a big physical X receiver and with a great catch radius. He shows the ability to elevate. So that's a matchup at State likes. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, how often can you get him to football? But, yeah, that's the thing about Tulu, though, is the fact that we're talking about him. Uh, you got you got a scheme for him, right? And so they move him around and put him in some mismatches that are advantageous for the offense. And how State has done that really has been formationally. You know, it's like they see what you want to do and where you want to have numbers. So they'll shift some guys around to try to get the matchup that they want with Tulu. And last weekend against South Carolina, they were able to get it just about every time they wanted it. And yeah. so I'm eager to see what Nick Saban does, you know, because in years past, you know, Bama's been able to just kind of man up on the corners. But Tulu Griffin has been underutilized at Mississippi State. This is his first year in the slot. I mean, he's a natural slot receiver. He played outside for two years. Uh, you know, for Coach Leach. And so I think now he's in his more natural position and prevents some, presents some real challenges to uh, opposing defenses. Along those same lines, teams line up for the first play. What's the first thing you're looking for? 
Uh, offensively for State? Sure. I think the first thing they want to do is probably get a running play going. I, I would suspect it'll be Woody Marks off left tackle or off right tackle. What's his health going to be like tomorrow? I know he's shaking up. Continue. I'm sorry. Woody's always shaking up. And so that's he's a tough kid. I mean, it's like there are a lot of there are a lot of times you look at him and say, people are like, oh, well, he got banged up in that ball game, and you see him in warm-ups and he's a, he's full go. I mean, he's just one of those guys. I think he actually, once he gets a little stinger or something, I think that's when he really gets going. I think he likes to be in the rigor of of interior uh, run game in the SEC. He likes contact, and uh, he's a tougher guy. So I always expect him to be good to go. There'll be some maybe a non-conference game. They sit him and just let him get his legs under him again. But yeah, they need to get him going and running running the football against Alabama is a full time gig, man. I mean, yeah, that's you know that front is legit. There's a kid, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, the Moses kid from Columbia, I, I, I can Otis Jaheim Otis from he's in my hometown. I played on that same field he did, you know. Uh, so I'm a fan, you know, and I know what that kid's capable of. I know where the family comes from. So the fact that he's going to Alabama probably makes him a first round draft pick someday. You know, I mean, he's that kind of player, but. You know, when Alabama recruits the way they do, nobody's going to line up consistently run this football right at them. But I think State has to find some success on the ground in order to open up the passing game. On the defensive side of the football, one of the things that we've seen a lot this year is with the mobile quarterback. When State brings the house and they don't get home, the mobile quarterback just tucks it and runs up the middle because State, more times than not, is bringing backers in A and B gap. I think you may see a wrinkle this week, though, when it comes to that because – even Spencer Rattler, who's not really a will a willing runner, found some success on the ground. And so it's been mobile quarterback, mobile, mobile quarterback, mobile quarterback every week. And so you hope you're learning a little bit more. Uh, but I, I think what they really want to do is make Jalen Milrow be a quarterback and not just be an athlete. Kind of keep him in the pocket, make him throw the football, work through his reads, his progressions. So I don't think you're going to see a ton of uh, you know front side pressure that enables him to kind of tuck it and go. Uh, because that's really kind of been the Achilles heel of this defense. It's been what happens when guys like Jaden Daniels and Jaden Delora see things break down and they turn, in, turn it into a backyard football game. That's what State has to avoid is not letting Mill Road just be an athlete. Does does State like to use a uh, spy in, in that situation? Sometimes, you know, sometimes. And uh, that's, you know, a guy that you guys may know, they're pretty familiar with, Marcus Banks. You know, I, I've suggested that's the guy, right? I mean, that's probably one of the fastest guys on the team. And, uh, you know, this game's going to mean a lot to that kid, you know. And so, you know, I won't be the least bit surprised on third third and long if State doesn't drop a little more in coverage and then spy the quarterback just because of the fact that, you know, they brought zero coverage and been beat on it a handful of times this year in very, very big plays. And, like, you look at last week's game, as tight as that thing was, I mean, it's a third and 13 play. The play is over. Rattler is giving himself up, and Buki Watson's running him down and just so happens gets his hand caught in the shoulder pads and gets flagged for a horse collar. It was absolutely the right call, absolutely the right call, but it's just an unfortunate situation. It's like the guy's going out of bounds. There's nothing there, right? But instead, they get 15 yards, a good on his score, make it a 14-0 ball game. And then later in that ball game, uh, Woody Marks goes in and scores, and it's called back on a Rylan Godet hold, and it was the right call. Yeah. Well, next thing you know, the next play, Will Rogers forces a pass and gets it picked off. That now, was a bad call. I, I agree, but we can't. But we can't throw that football anyway, right? I mean, you know, you can't for There's nothing there. But yeah, I, I agree that they may reviewed it. They should have overturned it. But that's within state, right? It's not. You can't put. If you want to really advance in this league, you can't blame the other team and you can't blame the officials. You got to find a way yourself to make the football play, and that's what State should have done there. I mean, at the very least, you get a field goal, and maybe it's a different ball game in the fourth. Because 
Yeah, you look at that second half, and I talked about this on Monday's show. Everybody talks about how bad the defense played. I thought defense was terrible in the first half. Mm-hmm. Well, in the second half, you give up a 75-yard touchdown, a one-on-one matchup. They get the look they want. Rather makes a big throw. Leggett runs it in, right? They had one sustained drive the rest of the half. You know, they get the, the second touchdown off that BS call and that uh, incomplete pass that they called a fumble. And I still haven't heard. I'm sure we got a letter like they give you when they screw up your dry cleaning. We're sorry. We're <laughs> sorry. We'll try to be better in the future. That was a terrible call. And it ultimately cost Mississippi State the football game. But the reality of it is, is defensively, they actually played pretty well. You give up one drive that, that ends in a field goal, and then you get the um, you know, you get the long touchdown pass. But yeah, all those points count. But I think there's some lessons to be learned from that. At halftime, they made some adjustments that while he didn't take root on that very first play, I think defense played pretty well. But you, you've got to be able to overcome adversity in this league, and especially against a team like Alabama. You can't go out there and shoot yourself in the foot. You can't go out there and make silly penalties and stupid turnovers. All right, so I want to go back to your Woody Marks and running the football, uh, and I think that is going to be a big key to this to this ball game. When I watch the LSU game, there's a lot of zone, you know, zone stretching out and trying to look for that cutback lane, looking for the hold, and LSU's athleticism and power basically kind of shut all that down. Is there going to be a, a, a counter? Is there going to be a different strategy running the football? Because Alabama, athletically, is very similar to, 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 to LSU. Uh, and, and so I wonder, and I'm watching that, I'm saying, that's not going to work against Alabama. What would you uh, suggest, or do you think there's going to be a different strategy implemented in the running game? Well, I think there has to be. And that, that, I think that's the lesson that Barbe learned against LSU is, you know, running these slow-developing plays and running that stretch play and things like that. I mean, the zone read stuff kind of works when you've got – you know, a mobile quarterback. But I think you've got to have some different packages this week because Alabama will do exactly what LSU did this running game. You know, it's just like they, they talk about, you know, insanity being the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's not going to change. And if you thought LSU was ready, Alabama will be even more prepared because they've seen that it works. And so I think you have to add some new wrinkles. I'm not sure what they're going to be. You know, a lot of people have been calling for Mike Wright to get some more snaps. Uh, I'm in favor of that, but I think it's got to be you got to pick your spot. You know, I mean, I don't think it could be okay. Well, he's going to get the third drive no matter what. Right. Uh, but I think one of the things, and I even talked to Barbe about this in media, is that you know, Mike's got the football. I mean, this guy was an SEC starter. I mean, he beat Kentucky and Florida last year, and you saw against Arizona. Every time he came in the game, they right. were sending six and seven as an all-out run blitz, and they basically negated his influence in the game. So you got to hold people accountable. You've got to make, put those linebackers in conflict, and I think the best way to do that is to, uh, you know, let them come on that run blitz, and you just hit that quick slant across the middle. Who knows how far it goes? But you know, State's got to give people something else to prepare for, and I think you have to hold the defense honest by making Mike more of a dual threat, not just a running specialist. And then on the flip side of the ball, you, you, you've, you've talked on on the Boneyard podcast about Alabama's struggles at quarterback position. Very valid. The last two weeks, Spencer Rattler and Jaden Daniels have gone 88% for six, uh, 650 yards and five touchdowns. Now, last week, Ole Miss basically ran rush three, spy one, drop eight, some sort of combination of that uh, of that defense. And now it limited the big plays except for two 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 big plays for uh, for over the top to Burton and over the top to Jalen Hale. But Jalen Miller goes uh 80 completion 225 yards only forces the one ball into the uh into the end zone on the interception how what i mean zach arnett said, said it earlier one if you're in zone coverage deep down the field no matter what it becomes man coverage if you get far, you know far down the field it's always man coverage 
what can they do to correct correct the passing defense? 120th in passing defense haven't really challenged. I mean, I think Jaden Daniels is a really good quarterback, but I'm not really all that sold on Spencer Rattler. Milrow kind of in between there, or maybe closer to the the, the third and the skill set of those three. How are they going to challenge Milrow if they sit back and drop eight coverage and he runs four yards a pop on a scramble, you know, gets it or dumps it off and gets a couple yards? What, what do you think the passing defense can do to correct its uh, maybe uh, missteps so far through the first four weeks? I think part of the issue is that State has had to blitz so much to generate a pass rush. And so they've become kind of predictable in that respect. And they've left those corners out there on an island. I think what you have to do is disguise the coverage just a little bit more. Make Milrow think, make him second guess himself, and then maybe you can get home with the pass rush. But, you know, if you're sitting in five and six against Alabama, you know, you better be able to tighten it up outside or it's going to be a big play. I mean, you know, we saw that when, you know, Jalen Hurts, how many times you go with zero coverage and Grantham just brings a house. Well, they pick it up. You're a sitting duck out there. I, th- I think State has to, number one, maybe not bring as much, uh, you know, five and six man blitz. I think you, you change some things up. I think you got to do some front side pressure to kind of get Milrose thought process sped up a little bit. Maybe he, maybe he rushes a throw or two, but if you sit back there and let him pitch and catch, even as pedestrian as his numbers have been, he's going to pick you apart. He'll just check it down or he'll take the, the tight end out, you know, they can simplify his reads, but I think state has to disguise coverages to put him in a decision-making process where he second guesses himself a little bit, because the last two weeks, every time somebody drops back to pass, you're expected to be a completion. I mean, you know, I kind of joke privately with some friends. I'm like, you know, hey, I can tell you who's probably going to be the consensus SEC player of the week this week. It's going to be the opposing quarterback against Mississippi State because State is not, even when State was able to get a lot of pressure against Arizona, you know, Delara is able to tuck it and go, and he still threw for what 345 yards. And so that's probably been we knew the safeties were going to be a real challenge. That's why State you know went to the portal so hard this year, but we didn't think it'd be this difficult. And you know, of course mobile quarterback after mobile quarterback, it just breaks all the rules, right? I mean, your rules say, hey, you're defending here against a deep third. Well, now all of a sudden, now I got to go chase this guy, you know? So the linebackers at State have got to do a good job kind of corralling things up and, and preventing those big quarterback runs. Steve, real quick question um, on, you know, SEC schedule is obviously changing. Alabama's not going to be playing Mississippi State every single year. Um, just what's kind of the feeling among the fans there about this rivalry is, you know, I, I don't want to say it's going away, but I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be different. Well, we're, we're absolutely heartbroken that we don't have to play Alabama every year. Let me, <laughs> let me just say we're absolutely emotionally destroyed. That we don't have to play Alabama every year, you know, uh, Listen, we got a lot of respect for the tide. We got a lot of Alabama. We got we got a lot of walk on Alabama fans over here in Mississippi. You know, I mean, and so, you know, I mean, you know, listen, I'll do respect, but you know, it's one of those things that you know, it drives me crazy. I don't like all these uh, bandwagon riders. You know, I got some friends back home that uh, were State and Ole Miss fans their whole life until all of a sudden Nick Saban start winning. It's like I've always been an Alabama fan. Yeah, yeah, roll tide, baby. Uh, <laughs> But now I think it's good for us. I mean, like, see, the, the story that I always tell when I'm asked this question is like, like, what's your perception? Who's the better program, Kentucky or Mississippi State? I'll ask both of you guys those questions. Who is the better program, Kentucky or Mississippi State? State. Yeah, yeah. Now, but the national media will tell you it's Kentucky. 
And one of the reasons why is because they were able to beat up on Vanderbilt and Missouri and for the last few years, South Carolina, you know, let them trot their butts into Bryant-Denny Stadium every other year and then get back to me and tell me what a great coach and job, job they've done in Kentucky. You know, at Mississippi State, nobody ever feels sorry for us. You know, we got to go play in College Station. We got to go play at Tiger Stadium. We get Alabama, Auburn every single year. And in addition to that, we get arguably the most bitter rivalry game in the country. Yes. We don't get to go play Missouri on a Thursday night in front of 15,000 people or whatever they pack in there. You know, we don't get to do that. And so, yeah, when this whole thing first came up, I can tell you there were administrators at Mississippi State are like, hey, this schedule rotation is not fair. Maybe back in 92 when they rolled it out there, maybe it made a lot of sense. Well, of course, then State wins the West, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, they didn't have to play Florida or Georgia. So, hey, we got to change the rotation. And don't think we didn't know about that, Roy Kramer. We absolutely did, you know. But it's so funny to me. It's like I know a lot of like the LSU people are like it's kind of sad that State's not going to be on the schedule. Yeah, cry me a river, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, we, yeah, we got to go play Florida next year. It, at least give me a chance to go somewhere different. I mean, it's so weird to me to think there's so many student athletes in this conference that will never know the chance of what it's like to run out of that tunnel at Bryant Denny Stadium or at Tiger Stadium or at Kyle Field, and that's that's a problem. That's an indictment on the league. They let it go on as long as they did. I mean. And now all of a sudden it took us adding Texas and Oklahoma to do that. That's that. Yeah, I'm a big Greg Sankey fan, but that's a problem with that should have never gone on as long as it did. Uh, you know, when A&M Missouri joined the league, we had a chance to kind of fix some of that. But the fact that like those kids at Kentucky, I mean, I think they've been to Tuscaloosa what, once in a decade. Right. You know, we, we have not been to the swamp since 2010 and we play in the same league. How is that fair? I'm totally with you on that. If you stay four years, you should be able to see and play in pretty much every every stadium in the league. Uh, if you, I mean, obviously, if you go to the NFL, whatever, in three years, you, you do that to yourself, and that's a choice that you make. Benefits come with that as well. Uh, but if you stay four years, you ought to be able to see most of the stadiums. I definitely agree with you on that. I'm going to throw two questions at you before we wrap you up. This is, we're talking to Steve Robertson of the Boneyard Podcast, and you can follow him at Scout Steve R on the Twitter machine or X machine, whatever you like. I'm going to throw two questions. All right, so you're 0-2 in the league so far this year. And 8 o'clock kickoff on Saturday night. Obviously, the Cowbells are the Cowbells. And I want to just ask you the morale of the, of, of, of the, uh, of the fan base. Will the Cowbells, will the atmosphere? I've never been. I'm, so we're going to send uh, Katie Windham and Austin Hannon and several of our other uh, of our, of our, uh, uh, other compatriots over there to Davis Wade Stadium. Tell us, will the atmosphere be electric for an 8 o'clock kickoff given an 0-2 start? Will it be a little more? Like, what will it be? And then the second question is, as a Starkville veteran, uh, for the Alabama fans who are going over to Starkville making the drive, what are some of the uh, must-see or must-eat places in Starkville? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is that, I mean, yeah, people are disappointed, but most people expected State to be 3-2 and two at best after the month of September. We thought South Carolina was a swing game, and I've said on my show countless times, that may be the difference in a good year and a really good year. And uh, they dropped that game, you know. Uh, I think most people expected this Alabama game to be a loss as soon as the schedule came out because, you know, 15 years in a row. I mean, State hadn't won since Sylvester Croom era. Uh, went back to back. Take that, John Parker Wilson. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's crazy to, to think that, you know, Dan Mullen beat every team in a Southeastern Conference but never beat Alabama. You know, it's like there's this curse, you know, and, um, and, and it makes it worse that, that Ole Miss has won a couple of games and been very competitive. You know, on the flip side, you know, State's been really competitive against LSU. But, 
you know, I, I think a lot of people expected us to be lost. We do expect there to be a huge crowd, probably the biggest one so far this year. And some of that's going to be Alabama fans, you know, but, uh, you know, we'll see how things go. I, I joked the other day on my show, I, you know, Crimson's so close to Maroon. Now's the day to take the aerial picture for all the marketing stuff going forward, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the ones that are there will be into the ball game. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of people hit me up for tickets and uh, other people hit me up saying, hey, I want to make sure these tickets get in the hand of a Bulldog fan. You know, we don't want to put it on StubHub and run the risk of Alabama taking over our stadium because that's what happened last year with Georgia. And it was an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment to Mississippi State. And uh, a lot of our fans have really kind of reached out and said, hey, don't do that. Eat your tickets before you allow some other team to come over here and take over our stadium. And and, I, and gr granted, it's a special thing with Georgia being as good as they are these days, but you know, I, you've already spent the money, you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, but uh, to each their own, but I would eat my tickets for, I sold them to a rival fan, but I do think that it will be a raucous crowd, probably a near capacity deal. And, you know, state's got eight o'clock kicks. Everybody's got all day to drink, drink some beer and, you know, have some ribs and some smoke wings. And, uh, you know, we'll see how everybody feels at halftime, but uh, you know, I would, I would recommend if you got a chance, go to Bulldog Burger Company in town. And my favorite place to eat in Starville is Harvey's. Um, I love going there. I, I've gone there most of my life. And of course, uh, you know, there's the central station grill, uh, that's not too far from campus, but, uh, yeah, I, I recommend all those places for sure. Uh, of course there's a walk-ons not too far from campus and that's an LSU company. If you guys are okay with that, but, uh, I can tell you the red beans and rice is fantastic, but, the food's uh, good. yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, no matter who's, no matter who's paying for it, you know, it's, uh, you know, I want to eat, but, um, but, yeah, we have a great time. And, uh, listen, we're, we're real proud of what we have here at Mississippi State. And my wife and I are opening up a business in town. And that's one of the things that I told her whenever we first started talking about this. You know, I'm not just a Mississippi State guy. I'm a Starkville guy. And I want what's best for our city, you know, and not, not just be a consumer of the Mississippi State brand, but to be a contributor to our community. And there are a lot of people in this town that are very civically minded in that respect. Like, they could move, open their businesses anywhere, but they chose to do it here to make Starkville a better place. And, uh, we are fiercely proud of what we have. We just may not have as much as everybody else, but we'll fight you for it. I can promise you that. <laughs> well, we've, we've been talking to Steve Robertson of the Boneyard Podcast and of jeanspage.com. You can read all his books. You've got Alpha Dogs. You've got Flim Flam. You've got Stark Villains. And the newest book, Blooms of Oleander, a poetry book, a, a group of a, a collection of poetry. And Steve, tell everybody one more time about the book that you are about to put out about your sobriety and journey to where you are now. Yeah, that's When the Bottom Falls, and you can find it at whenthebottomfalls.com. I also uh, you know, wrote the book about state's NAFL championship in 2021, a book called Dogpile. And um, I don't know if I'll ever have one as successful as Flim Flam. You know, here's hoping. But, uh, you know, but the newest one is uh, basically my memoirs about, you know, I got clean and sober December 10th, 1991, and I hadn't had a relapse yet. And uh, relapse is a big part of some people's journey. It hadn't been for me, and I'm living proof. A lot of people think, well, you know, you can kind of flirt with this thing. Um, you can't, this is a matter of life and death. And, uh, you know, had it not been for the love of a good woman and, uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'd be dead or in the penitentiary. And that's not hyperbole. That's the truth of the matter. I mean, I'm 6'2", 215 pounds right now. I checked into rehab at 6'2", 146. And I was so far away from where I needed to be that any step I took was in the right direction. And, uh, there were so many people that gave up on me, but I didn't give up on me and God didn't give up on me. And, at the end of the day, I would have moved to Alaska and lived in an igloo if that's what it took to get better. And uh, thankfully, I didn't have to do that. You know, I got to go home to my home state of Mississippi and, and find some recovery. But 
there are a lot of people out there that are hurting these days from addiction and it's become so accepted in today's society. It's almost like, well, we can't fix it and we don't want to deal with it. So let's just kind of excuse it. And there's still the stigma about drug addiction. There's so many people that are afraid to, to really ask for help because they, you know, it's like, I, I'm from small town, Mississippi and, and I've never been anonymous. Right. And so it's like, as soon as I went to drug rehab, my mom couldn't wait to go tell everybody, Oh, he's going to rehab. He's going to rehab, you know, because, it made them feel better. But the reality of it is this is, you know, I wasn't anonymous when I was out there in all those bars and, you know, chasing all these women and, and doing narcotics. I mean, you know, so why would I be anonymous now? Why would I not be transparent now? And there are some people who love me that wish I wasn't quite as transparent, but I'm alive <laughs> today because of a program of recovery. And it is my responsibility to share that with other people uh, to help a still suffering addict. Good deal. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm going to uh, thank Ryan Fowler for the connection. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll send some of our, our colleagues over to see you uh, in Davis Wade Stadium, and I hope to catch up with you soon. You guys take care. Thank yes, you, sir. Steve. Yes, sir. That's Steve Robertson joining us on the Joe Gaither Show. You can read his, or you can listen to his podcast, the Boneyard Podcast, on all the podcast platforms and follow him on the Twitter machine at ScoutSteveR. We're going to welcome in the two stars. We're going to make our show, what, two times smarter now with Katie Windham and Austin Hannon. You can make sure you follow them at Katie under Katie Windham underscore and Austin Hannon underscore. Katie, what was your biggest takeaway from Steve Robertson, and what are you looking forward to this weekend in Starkville, football-wise or non-football-wise? I was just on there for the tail end of that, so I didn't get to hear all of it, but I, I was liking uh, his message there at the end. And also, uh, I have been to Bulldog Burger before in uh, Starkville. Now, I don't know if tomorrow uh, on a game day weekend, if it's going to be best <laughs> for us to try and venture to a, a popular Starkville establishment. I don't know what the wait times will be, but um, I am – well, I was going to say I am looking forward to the trip over on 82, but – uh 82 is not always my favorite place so we'll see it's a, it can be a sketchy highway sometimes uh sometimes uh austin oh go ahead Chris. I've, I've lived in tuscaloosa since 2004 i've had one ticket and it was coming back from mississippi state so both both tickets i've ever gotten have been on highway 82 not between tuscaloosa and start well between tuscaloosa and montgomery but same same highway you know? okay <laughs> uh, that's exactly what i was getting at by saying sketchy like you gotta watch your speed limit and uh oh. <laughs> no gives you out there <laughs> austin hannon i think you're in the middle of a drive or at the moment are you doing okay and we'll check in with you how is uh how's your week been and what are you looking forward to in mississippi state tomorrow football wise or non-football wise can, can you, sorry, Joe, can you repeat that? You've broken it out there for a second. Oh, we just wanted to check in with you, see how you're doing, and see what you're looking forward to watching the Bulldogs and Crimson Tide play tomorrow. Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, and there's, a lot, I think there's a lot of things to be excited for. I mean, I, I think the most important thing and the most excited thing that fans are probably about is can Alabama take what they did in the second half last week and kind of expand on it um that's a way to put it or just do it again I mean they, they looked dominant in the second half against Ole Miss on really both sides of the ball um after Jalen was able to clean things up on offense and you know the defense was good all game everything kind of clicked in the second half they had they, they forced turnovers they limited penalties they blocked well and, and everything was kind of going the right way so um I think the big thing this weekend for Alabama is, is doing just that and, and seeing if they can, can um, expand on a great performance last week against one Mississippi school and then go on the road and, and do it again. And, and not just that, but uh, this is a big game for Jalen Milrow. I mean, I don't think it's been talked about enough that this is his first ever road start um, of his career. And 
even if you had started at USF two weeks ago, I mean, it, it's not going to be the environment that this will be. So uh, how, how will he respond to that? Can he continue to, to, to build um, on what he's doing these last couple of weeks? And if, if so, I think Alabama's got a good chance. It is his first road start, but he did get some significant road snaps and kind of what became a tight situation in Arkansas last in, year. In Fayetteville, so, yes. Which that crowd got started to get real ramped up uh, around that time. But, yeah, this will be um, kind of a new thing. Do you guys think, Chris, we'll start with you. Do you guys think that Jalen feels a little extra pressure seeing how successful the four quarterbacks have been against State so far? The, the, the State's played four mobile quarterbacks, and they've torched them pretty much uh, w- w- without resistance, either through the, the ground or the air. Uh, as I said earlier, 88% completion for Jaden Daniels and Spencer Rattler combined. Does that make Jay, uh, Jalen Miller feel a little extra pressure to kind of match what those guys have done? Um, no, I, I don't think so. It's, it's for me, this is a, this is good timing for, I think to, for Alabama to get A&M and for Milrow in particular, I, I think the fact that he was named the starter, everything went, went fine last week for the most part. Um, I think that really takes the pressure off of him as a whole. So, uh, the fact that they are facing a team where, you know, he could have some success. Uh, I, I think it's the, I think it's going to be the opposite. I think this could be a huge confidence builder. And I want to see if they're, you know, it's, I, I, I kind of jokingly put it on, on a social media thing last week about, you know, here's the, uh, here's the game plan, run, 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 throw deep. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see more of that this week. And so I want to, I, I'm curious to see how they're going to be trying to build on that. But yeah, I, I this is, I, I think this is perfect timing for him. Katie Wyndham, we've had really Alabama's most successful half of play last week against Ole Miss on both sides of the ball. The defense has played pretty much lights out through four weeks outside of the fourth quarter against Texas. But the offense actually looked in sync, in rhythm, ahead of the sticks. Do you think that that's going to be something that continues, or do you think this week of practice, you know, things shake up? What's going to be your prediction for the Alabama offense tomorrow? I think it is going to be something that continues. I think it helps that they're playing Mississippi State. Uh it is their first, you know, road test. I mean, they did play at USF, obviously, but kind of a real road environment this week. But we've kind of seen, like, look, when I, because I did the How to Watch for Miss B State on Sunday of this week. And so when I was just looking through the series history, there's been, you know, since Saban lost that first year in 2007, and then obviously Alabama's won every other game. There's been two games that were decided by single digits, and most of them have been blowouts. And a lot of them have come directly after losses like two years ago after the AM loss a lot of times after because it used to be you know this game was always the second weekend of November so if Alabama lost to LSU they play Mississippi State right after so it's kind of been like a get right game or a figure things out game um and no disrespect to Mississippi State obviously Saban's respecting them a lot he said multiple times this week he thinks it's the best team they've played outside of Texas but I think this is a good team for Alabama to kind of get this first road game uh I don't know if jitters is even the right word. I don't know if they really get nervous, but um, to kind of to build on what they did in the second half last week for the offense to be able to figure things out for the offensive line. I think obviously there's some questions there about, you know, what they're going to do at left tackle between Proctor and Pritchett and um, still kind of figuring out the best five starting five there. Um, But because to me, like I think we talked about this last week, to me that's the key of the team is how the offensive line can play. And we saw them looking a lot better in the second half last week of not giving up any sacks. And obviously part of the sacks is on.
that's all right. We're gonna move on to Austin real quick as she wraps it, as she reconnects back to uh, back into our stream. Uh, Austin scoops scoops Hannon two weeks in a row, bringing us the uh, injury scoops. How big a deal is it gonna to be to be without Deontay Lawson and without T.J. Ferguson? Yeah, I think Lawson's obviously. I don't think I'm saying anything crazy. Saying he's obviously the bigger. We're saying goodbye to Austin as well. Internet issues <laughs> on the road. That's no problem. Oh, there's Katie Wyndham right back with us. All right. We're gonna... Oh, you're okay. You're okay. We'll we'll jump into it. Look, there's there's seven SEC games. Every SEC team is playing a conference opponent this week. We'll hit the other six real quick, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up with a little Alabama Mississippi State uh, prediction. Uh, we'll we'll start with 11 a.m. There's what 32 11 a.m. games. Uh, Katie. Florida is going to Kentucky. Kentucky, a one-point favorite. We don't have to play the lines uh, right here, but what do you think about Florida going to Kentucky? I don't know. That's a tough one because Florida obviously had the good win over um, Tennessee a couple weeks ago, but had really rough start at Utah. Kentucky hasn't really played anyone yet, and when they played Vanderbilt last week, they gave up some points. So I think even though it's at Kentucky, I'm going to go Florida. There we go, Chris Walsh. Yeah, I, I'm normally I'm like when in doubt you go with the home team, but in this case, I think uh, I think Florida's got something going a little bit. I, I this is one of those that's going to go right down to the end. This this is going to be like a one two point um, maybe three point game, um, but in this case, I'm going to take the Gators. Austin Hannon, we're reconnecting you right here, and I don't know if you heard any of that, but we're uh, we moved on to SEC predictions or SEC games, and then we'll wrap up uh, we'll wrap up our conversation back with Alabama, Mississippi State, Florida is on the road to Kentucky. Kentucky, a one point favorite. It sounded like uh, Katie took Florida, and Chris, did you take Florida as well? I, did, I, I was uh, yeah. focused on the back end. I'm sorry. So two Florida picks. Austin, what do you think about Florida going to Kentucky? Let's switch it up. I'm going Cats. Um, I think this game's interesting, too. There's a lot of interesting games on the SEC slate this weekend, uh, this being the early one, 11 a.m. Central kickoff, uh, which I think is going to help Florida a little bit. Um, Kroger Field's known to get a little wild and rowdy at nighttime. Uh, so Kentucky fans, will have, uh, they'll have a few hours um, early that they'll have to do that this week. But I just think that we've maybe gone too far on Florida um, just because of the one win over, over Tennessee a couple weeks ago at home where – Florida did look really good. They dominated Tennessee on the line of scrimmage. Uh, a lot of Tennessee's flaws that were maybe being hushed over the offseason kind of got exposed. Um, and, and, and because of that, Florida got a lot of credit, as they should. But I, I still don't think this Florida team is exactly where we think they might be. Um, obviously, they're in the top 25 now. But all you need to know is that they're underdogs against Kentucky, who's not ranked. And Kentucky really hasn't played a single uh, meaningful opponent this year. And I, I don't think they've been great. Uh overall but i think this is a spot where the country kind of realizes the sec kind of realizes okay kentucky is a pretty good team they're still a little bit ahead ahead of florida uh we might see a little bit of a better performance from devin leary at quarterback the nc state transfer who's been pretty quiet so far this year i think he might kind of have a little bit of a coming up a party so Austin's taking Kentucky, and I will uh, join Austin taking Kentucky as well. We'll go two and two for Big Blue, and two uh, the other two for for Florida. Uh, we'll go to Dallas. Uh, to, we'll go over to Cowboy Stadium, Arlington. Uh, Texas A&M takes on Arkansas. A&M a six point favorite. No more Connor Wigman out for the year. Katie Wyndham, how are you feeling about Arkansas and Texas A&M? Yeah, this is a tough one because 
if you look at Arkansas's upcoming schedule, things don't really get easier until the back end. Their next games are at Ole Miss, then at Alabama. So after this, they already have two losses. Um, so I think this is kind of a – I don't want to say must win, but for them, so I'm going to go Arkansas. And I think Texas A&M could maybe be looking a little ahead at Alabama. So, Chris Wallace, how you feeling? It, this game's always really weird, you know, the Arlington yeah. game. It's it's one of those you you sit there and go, I can't believe what I'm watching, and it, and it usually goes back and forth. I uh, I think losing Wigman's going to be pretty big. I really like Max Max Johnson. I think he's underrated, and um, in that respect, I don't think they're going to lose a, a lot. But I I'm kind of with Katie on this one. It's it's um, you know Arkansas's kind of been shooting itself in the foot. I think I'm going to be really ready for this game. Um, I think I. If I was going to pick straight up, I'd probably take Texas A&M, but it, you know the, the line's like six, six and a half, somewhere in there. I'm taking the points. There we go. Austin, can you hear me? We're talking all, we're talking hogs and Aggies. All right, goodbye. We're done to talk to Austin later. Austin, <laughs> we'll catch up with you on our staff call in just a little bit. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but focus on the road, my man. We'll catch up with you here in just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go... I'll go Arkansas. I'll go Arkansas as well because I think that, you know, losing losing to BYU, getting having a close game, I think they're going to get over the hump and, ta- and take down Texas A&M. And this will be a game that Jimbo drops, and this will help everybody uh, get on the Alabama train the next week and, you know, overhype Alabama. I'll go, I'll go Arkansas as well. Uh, we'll jump to 230. Uh, good old class. Oh, what is it? Good old Queen. Oh, no, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. That's the name. Uh, Georgia is going to Auburn. Do the Tigers have a chance, Katie? I don't think so. I think last week we saw Auburn playing kind of a real opponent for the first time and saw how dire their offensive situation is. I mean, Jordan Harrell be pretty packed up because it's a rivalry game, so that may get them a few points, but not anywhere close enough to win. Chris, are you giving Hugh Freeze any chance for a little Jordan Hare voodoo? I want to. I mean, it's it's their home. Um, you know, Hugh Freeze is kind of known for these kind of games and and you know pulling some surprises. Uh, you know, it's I. Georgia seems to be kind of on a slow build, and a lot of that has to do with their schedule. Uh, I, I think they're kind of looking for an excuse to really kind of show, hey, yeah, we're. Uh, we're legit. So, yeah, I, I like the Bulldogs. Uh, we'll go three for three, Georgia Bulldogs. All right, three o'clock. Missouri is going to Vanderbilt. Missouri still undefeated. Oh, are they going to be the best challenger for Georgia in the East? Katie Wyndham, is Missouri keep it going? Uh, Yeah, I think they're going to keep it going this week as far as them challenging Georgia in the East. I don't know about that. But, yeah, why not? Let's have let's have Missouri get to 5-0, and oh, keep climbing up in those top 25 polls. Yeah, I'll take Missouri too. I, I just, I, this is going to be a high scoring game, probably lots of points. Um, it's, it's perfect for Missouri. Brady Cook and them boys going to win the Missouri Tigers. Well, you'll hear Eli Drinkwitz for sure again in next week's Silly Sound. He's been a star two weeks in a row. Uh, we're going to keep it up. Uh, five o'clock, LSU goes to Ole Miss, goes to the Grove. Does Lane Kiffin bounce back, Katie Wyndham? Mm, this is a tough one. Also, I didn't realize this game was on ESPN before the Alabama game. So, meaning the Alabama game is definitely not going to start at 8 p.m. Uh, probably uh, at 8 15. Um, <laughs> <9 o'clock. laughs> I think 
I'm going to – well, I don't know because LSU – I was listening to that LSU-Arkansas game last week when I was driving back from Bryant-Denny on the radio and then caught the end of it on TV. Uh, I mean, Arkansas could have very easily won that game. And it was in Tiger Stadium. So, uh, I'm going to go Ole Miss at home. Hotty toddy. Chris Walsh. Yeah, you know, it's we've got two coaches that are trying to get their team's attentions. And you know what? Lane got called out by Feinbaum this week, which normally I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But I, I, Lane's do. You know what? And I, I, you know, the game's at Ole Miss. If it was at LSU, I'd say LSU's going to win hands down. I'm, I'm going to pick Ole Miss in this one. I think they're going to stun them. And, uh, you know, we're going to have Kelly mulling around all over again. If not, it's, you know, Feinbaum does the same thing next week. It's like, oh, Ole Miss, you know, Kiffin got, Kiffin looks bad. Yeah, whatever. Okay, Paul. Good luck with that. <laughs> I wasn't very impressed with Lane's approach to last week's game, to be honest. I don't, I, and, and more so, I wasn't really impressed with Pete Golding's approach to last week's game. They stayed in that drop eight, uh, drop eight, rush three the whole time and never really did anything to mix it up on Jalen Milrow. I don't uh, think they felt like they matched up. Nah, yeah. I you agree. Know? But still, it just didn't seem very creative. Like, okay, we don't match up. Well, you're going to have to do a bunch of different things. I, I don't know. I'll, I'm going to go Brian Kelly. Respect for the for the for the uh, Alabama secondary, or maybe you know the, when when Lane started praising you know uh, Terry Arnold, uh, that jumped out to me big time. When he was like, "Hey, we went after this guy last year. We couldn't do it this year." Um, you know, when you have opposing coaches start talking, you know, after they play, giving you like talent assessments like that, I always really listen up. So, um, you know, I I thought the Alabama secondary was going to be pretty good this year. I, I think it might be better than we realized. A lot of big debate so far on Twitter this week. Who's better, Kool-Aid McKinstry or Terry and Arnold? And I think you're basically splitting hairs right now through the first four weeks. I'm still taking Kool-Aid. <laughs> probably, so, probably so, but Terry on's come on. He's come on pretty nice. No, he's done really, really well. And, you know, the thing was, you know, I, it's when he came in, it was he's going to be a safety kind of thing. And and the fact that he stepped in and he's played corner, he's given them that that second really tough guy to throw against on, on, on the outside. It's made a world of difference. And, and like when we were talking to Steve earlier, when he was saying, I don't know how they're really going to, you know, try to match up one-on-one kind of thing. Uh, I think Mississippi State's going to have a lot more trouble throwing than than people realize. They're going to have to do a lot of underneath stuff and 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 so forth. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to move on to the last non-Alabama game. South Carolina goes to Tennessee. KD, the Fighting Shane Beamers are an eleven and a half point underdog. Underdog, excuse me. Will uh, will they beat Tennessee for a second year in a row? Yes. Got like the underdog pick. I like it. On the road in Newland Stadium, God, that'll break their hearts. Chris? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the balls, but not to cover. I'm kind of with you right there. I, 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 uh, I don't really think South Carolina is that good, especially up front on the offensive line. Uh, I think that's going to be a struggle. Uh, you know, and here's the thing. It's, it's Milton physically is obviously really, really impressive. I, I just don't – the Tennessee offense isn't clicking, you know, for whatever reason. He's not very dialed in. He's not very dialed in. Yeah. All right, we're bringing Austin. We're bringing you back in because it's time to pick Alabama, Mississippi State. Chris is exempt. Well, I do want Chris's kind of analysis over the game, and we'll do that last. But Katie Wyndham, fourteen and a half points. The Crimson Tide. What are you thinking about Alabama going to Starkville? Eight ten p.m. officially. Uh, probably going to be eight fifteen <laughs> or so. What do you think is going to be the matchup and uh, and the outcome? 
Clearly, people don't need to listen to me if they are actually betting on this. Because first week I picked <laughs> entertainment purposes only. The last three weeks I've been wrong. You know, week two, week three I picked Alabama to cover. They didn't. So last week I picked them not to cover. They did. I do think Alabama covers this week at Mississippi State. Kind of like what I talked about earlier is just most of the games in this series haven't been closed. It's been an opportunity for Alabama to kind of work things out and in a good way and have um, some momentum. And no matter what Saban says, I, I don't think this Mississippi State team is um, that good. And so their past events has been really bad the last two weeks. So I think Alabama will be able to score. Um, so I think Alabama wins the game and covers. All right, so I'm going to go with you. I think that uh, Alabama wins the game and covers. I think, you know, you're not going to – Mississippi State's going to have a hard time scoring. I watched all four of their games this week, and LSU was really smothering them on defense. I think they're just going to have a really hard time scoring. And, you know, Alabama, yeah, you, you only give up three to USF, throw that game out there. But you held Ole Miss down. Jackson Dart's a pretty good quarterback. I know Quinchon Judkins wasn't completely healthy, but neither is neither is Woody Marks, the, uh, the, the Mississippi State running back. I'm taking Alabama. I'm feeling somewhere in the – 35-10, 35-13 range to 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 uh to cover and win the ball game. Austin, we're gonna test your internet connection. Katie and I both took Bama to win and cover. Are you uh in the same boat or are you gonna go underdog? Yeah, we got you. We hear yeah, you. Yeah, I, I think they do. Um there's a couple there, there's a few reasons. I think really funny. Will Rogers, this will be his fourth start, I think, against Alabama in his career. Um, and the first three have been very, very poor. I believe that the number is zero touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, so, so whatever's working. Excellent. Excellent. He took Alabama to win and cover. Chris Walsh will get your overall analysis on the ball game. No pick for you as the editor-in-chief, the owner of BamaCentral.com. Yeah, you know, I think Alabama found something in the second half against Ole Miss, and it's going to be something that they can start building on. So this is obviously the first game afterwards, and and we're going to kind of see, you know, some little tweaks and 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 so forth. But uh, we we have the beginnings of an identity, and uh, you know, it's 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 nice to see after the talk that we heard going into the season. Um, about how they wanted to play in a, in a kind of a style, and then we finally saw some of that. Uh, we're going to see more of that, um, definitely. And so, um, you know, Alabama's got a lot of talent. They got to, you know, it's 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 every single week is going to be tough from here on in, and is they just got to build. And um, hopefully, you know, if there's one opponent really for the rest of the season, you know, if I'm the coach, I'm a little scared about. I hate to say it, put it this way, looking past a little bit, it's this one. So uh, it's it's that's the big concern. That and of course, you know, the nonstop cowbells that everybody loves to you know talk about in in Starkville. But um, yeah, it's um, night game. Get your popcorn. <laughs> to steal Wayne Kiffin's line. <laughs> well, we will be on site. Many people, four or five people in the booth at Davis Wade Stadium. Five. Katie Wyndham, Austin Hannon. We'll have Matthew Gibson. Matthew Gibson's going over there, correct? And Will Miller. Yep. And Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton. There's your, there's your five. You can make sure you're following Bama Central. Oh, 
Blake, Blake Byler. Sorry, Austin. I appreciate. Uh, 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 sorry, sorry, Edwin. Sorry, Blake. Uh, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a great crew over there. You're gonna be able to follow everybody at Bama Central on the X Machine at Bama Central SI on Instagram at Alabama Crimson Tide on Sports Illustrated on Facebook. We're gonna have all kinds of coverage, but make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter at BamaCentral.com. You'll get all the access and all the coverage at, at Katie Wyndham underscore will be our lead and the taking get they'll. Katie's going to pack earplugs for everybody. So we appreciate everybody watching us on the Joe Gaither Show today on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, right here on Bama Central. You listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. Tell a friend about the program. We'll have another fun week next week. We'll recap the Mississippi State win or loss on Monday, and then we'll see whatever we can get into with Texas A&M on deck after that. But first, it's Mississippi State weekend, and you're going to follow it at BamaCentral.com. We will have five people in the booth covering whatever uh, Zach Cornett has to say and really covering all the goings-on from the Alabama Crimson Tide perspective. So we appreciate everybody watching and listening. We'll be back with another episode of the Joe Gaither Show on Monday right here on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com.